Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. USCHO.com. This is the USCHO Spotlight, a weekly podcast from U.S. College Hockey Online at USCHO.com, featuring conversations with college hockey coaches and players and journalists who cover the sport. Welcome to USCHO Spotlight for Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. I'm Ed Trefsker alongside Jim Connolly. Last weekend, Michigan Tech caught everyone's attention by sweeping Wisconsin on the road, and that has led to a lot of media attention for the program. And joining us now on USCHO Spotlight, the head coach of Michigan Tech, that's Joe Sean. Joe, what a great start to the season for your team, a sweep of nationally ranked Wisconsin on the road. Uh, take us a little bit through that that weekend you just had last weekend. Uh, thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. And and Ed, um, just to I guess to start out with, maybe if we're four and ten and this series takes place in December, we don't get the the attention that we're getting right now. We've been doing a number of interviews the last couple of days, but um, it was a it was an outstanding uh, start to our season. It's it's one that we had hoped for. I wouldn't say it caught us or caught me anywhere by surprise because. You know, last year, I, I felt we had a really good hockey team. Um, we, we, we were not just in every game, every game except for maybe one that, that we played on a year, but we were, we were very good in those games. And what we really had a problem doing last year was scoring goals. Um, statistically, probably we were scoring chance differential. We were, you know, we were probably as good as most teams in, in the country. And, uh, but as the season went on and it, it showed harder and harder for us to put the puck in the net um, with those scoring chances, sticks got gripped a little tighter and it almost got to the point where you feel sorry for the players. So I think refreshed vigor um, on the guys, a good off season of dwelling on that, on what could have been in some ways, the return of basically our entire roster and a couple of, of great additions um, to our team through the transfer portal and recruiting. I think, I think our guys uh, came in with a little bit maybe different, fresh mindset, a more, a more relaxed mindset. And, um, and I think we saw a little bit of that, that, that games are a little different when, you, when you're able to put some pucks in the net. The games weren't really different in how they were played than they were a year ago. The result was different, um, I think, because we took some pressure off by scoring some goals. Was there, Joe, any way, maybe a desire when you talk about guys knowing how good you were last year and maybe didn't get the results? Was there a desire to, I don't like to use the word chip on a shoulder. I think that's a little bit cliche, but where there was some sort of a hunger just to show right out of the gate against a good opponent on the road that you're a team that should be reckoned with this year. Yeah, I'd say yes and no. I'd say that that we really benefited from a, from a, a surreal opportunity and that some of our main characters on our team, our leaders, our captains in Trent Bliss and Alex Bretzman um, are from Wisconsin. And there's such a deep entrenched tradition in the state of Wisconsin with regards to the Badgers that going home and playing in that rink 
was of, of significant impact to them. And they are certainly the drivers of, of our culture and what goes on in our locker room. And they back that up with a great performance and a great demand on, on their teammates to show well in their own state. And then, and then added to that, our, our Michael Carroll, who was a transfer from Boston College, who we recruited back before he went to Boston College, another Wisconsinite that uh, is a tremendous defender for us, a, a very good defenseman that fit that same mold and is, is real good friends with, with Blisser. So I think that the leadership on the team being so energized and focused, in particular to this game and looking forward to this series for a long period of time, I think that was probably more the driving force that they wanted to show well than the fact that, okay, let's prove that we can do this. Or let's prove that we can do that. Um, I think the guys believe in, their sel- in themselves. I firmly believe that they, that they believe in, in themselves and what we're doing and that they're driving a good, solid culture here. Um, but I think that we, we certainly benefited and hopefully got a jump start going forward, got those cables on the battery to start that motor going forward for the ability to, um, to produce offensively, because I do think that we have a team that, that can give anybody on any, on every night, give anybody um, a world of fit. I want to ask about your goaltender, uh, Blake Patella and looking at his numbers and didn't get a lot of time as a freshman. And last year um, carried your water for most of the season. Good numbers, uh, one, 181 goals against average and a save percentage north of 930. Those are the kind of those standards that a lot of gold, uh, a lot of coaches look for in a goaltender. Goes out the first weekend, you know, the first night, you know, I know shots aren't always indicative, but, you know, 40 shots, gives up only two goals, then comes back, gives up only one the next night. What did you like out of the way he played and what have you seen in his development? Yeah, I appreciate that, Jim. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a unique individual. He's a tremendous young man that I won't say is an overachiever, but every place he's been along the, along his path, um, he, he kind of goes in and in some ways surprises people, you know, it, happened at the uh, at the midget level they won a national tournament at the midget at the midget level um he goes on and he's you know he's supposed to play in the North American League and Cedar Rapids says we kind of like this kid and they bring him up and he's their guy and ends up playing on a U.S. team over the holidays that represents the the U.S. internationally a team picked from from the USHL top players and then he comes to us as a freshman we had a we had a really good goaltender a Hobie Baker candidate and all-league candidate and Matty Jerusek who was actually a transfer from, uh, from Wisconsin. So he, Maddie has an outstanding year for us, um, is a leader in the locker room, is a leader in, in every respect. And, and uh, Blake kind of just, he, I wouldn't say bought his time, but he worked hard on his craft. And then when, his, when the opportunity came last year, the intent going into last year probably would have been that Blake isn't proven yet. It's a wide open position. We brought in Mark Sinclair as a transfer um, when Huntsville folded their program initially. And, we bring Matt in and he does a good, you know, we expect him to, to at least um, be a, be a split goaltender. And, and then Blake just forced us to play him every, every night. And he's continued to grow, continued to develop. He broke records at, at a prestigious school like Michigan tech that has a long hundred year history in, in some statistical categories. Um, again, a, a tremendous young man, his brothers here, there's great competition, his twin brothers on the team. We had a great weekend as well. And uh, he, he's been everything we could ask for. And what I'm most proud of in him last weekend is that he was out for about 12, 14 days during that 
that shortened initial period where we are limited in our time with our group. Um, and so he wasn't facing shots at that time. And he comes in two days before an exhibition game with Northern and uh, we get an injury to Mark Sinclair. And now, so we, I didn't even, wasn't sure if I was going to use Blake at all, maybe for a period. We ended up playing him half of that game and he was, he was just okay in that effort, but he'd only been on the ice a very short time, a couple. And then uh, lets in the goal early against Wisconsin um, in the first shot, first scoring chance. And, and then the next one, he's looking behind him. The next time Stan comes down on the wing, he's looking behind him. But then he was rock solid from that, from that point on, not beaten by a shot. And the only goal that actually Wisconsin was able to beat him on was a, a weird deflection in front that went up maybe 12, 14, 16 feet in the air and kind of no one could see it and bounced in behind him um, from a, a point shot in front of the net. So he was rock solid and he's been that way for us virtually on every outing. We're talking with Joe Sean, the head coach at Michigan Tech. You mentioned transfers a couple of times and being familiar uh, with Michael Caro from a recruiting time. How did you approach transfers in the transfer portal? Uh, we, we went to fit needs. Um, we weren't looking to say, okay, we need the best, the best player. We were looking to fit needs and we, we targeted a couple of individuals um, within that. We knew that we needed depth at center because in, in reality, a year ago when we were having uh, trouble scoring and we're really looking back at it, we're studying it and analyzing it, we weren't getting the production out of, out of the center ice position. All of, our, all of our strength was coming from the wing. So, so plays were originating from the wing. So we needed to address, we felt that center ice position with some individuals that could attract some attention. And, and hopefully if we could find someone that possessed a lot of speed, um, and one that had a lot of size, we, we would we would go in those regards um, and, and look for a couple. And then on defense, we were we played at a, on, a, on every given night five right-handed defensemen. So we really felt we needed a left-handed defenseman that could come in and log minutes like like we were getting out of Chris Leip and and and, and uh, Sawyer, Colin Sawyer, and guys like that. We felt that we needed to get a left-hand shot. So. In that, when, when these individuals came up on the portal, we were able to pretty easily tell them where they would fit in, paint them a picture like I'm doing for you, or where they would fit in, the impact we were looking for out of them. And thus, we, you know, Michael Carroll, big, that I had recruited before. He went again to Boston College. I knew of him. Um, he had leadership qualities. He knew guys within our program from Wisconsin. So uh, we went after him hard as that left-handed defenseman um, that could log minutes. That was kind of a thoroughbred. And then and then we were able to pick up Matt Corsia from Boston University, who was a depth player for them, fit that size strength mold that, that would that would bring attention. And, and, he, and he had some strength on the puck, which is something we, we really sought. And then we were very fortunate again to get Tyrone Bronte, um, originally from Australia that had played junior or played uh, midget hockey for a, a young man, Ryan Kaseki, that I'd coached for for three years in junior hockey. He knew of him and had told us about him in the past. He ended up going to Huntsville, Huntsville folded their program. Player with speed, grit, uh, very much, I think probably in the lines, I would say um, in the lines, probably like a Braden Point type of a player to, to us that that control the game, can control the game in some ways when he's on the ice. He was an all-WCHA all-rookie last year um, on the all-rookie team. So we were able to, get him and he has that pushback speed that we were looking for up the middle and the ability to draw coverage and, and generate offense through the middle of the ice. And, and he's proven to be everything that we've asked for. So 
all these players have, in the in the early going have been significant for us, and we anticipate that that'll maintain uh, the same structure moving forward. More with Michigan Tech's Joe Sean in a moment. This is the USCHO Spotlight, a weekly podcast from U.S. College Hockey Online. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Continuing with Michigan Tech head coach Joe Sean. In future years, if the NCAA decides to keep that uh, one-time transfer without having to sit out a year, and uh, certainly there are going to be a couple more years of fifth-year players, would you be in favor of that uh, uh, on on a a longer-term basis? And kind of alongside that, uh, what kind of things are benefits of that for coaches and players? You kind of outlined some that have worked for your team, but what would be the benefits if that were to keep going? Yeah, um, I'm not in favor of it. Uh, I'm in favor of them. Like they kind of went in, in my opinion, on the transfer portal in an all for nothing deal. If you recall, they went they went from at one point, there were ways that you could allow a non fit to transfer and grant a player like that a release um, by taking his aid or taking him having a a mutual decision of of you're you're basically cutting the the player. You You have no more room for that player on your on your roster. And with a written release, that player could then do what he's doing now, which was, which was more of an agreed upon type of thing. I think this is ultimately, and this is just my opinion, but this is ultimately going to, going to, in a lot of ways, just keep feeding um, the glitter programs. Um, now there's another side of it. And I'd have to have that thoroughly explained to me where well, the, the players should have his right. The coaches always have their rights to do this and do that. But coaches are bound by contracts. You know what I mean? Like, I can't just walk away and, and go interview for another for another program. I'm, I'm bound by a contract that um, I guess I can void that contract and suffer the penalties that are within that for leaving early. Um, so I don't think it is, it is necessarily the same, you know, when they compare it to coaches can choose and go where they want to go. They're usually bound by somewhat of the same term that that this decision comes by. Now, I'm for it if you put some things in it. If you put something in there where you can say to a young man, okay, we're making a commitment to you. We're honoring our commitment to you. We're offering an NLI. We cannot take that away. We want you to make a commitment to us that you'll sign this and you're not going to seek the transfer portal. Then that gives a, a school a, a decision, well, what is this kid really in it for? Um, we're, we're making a commitment to, to him, but is he making a commitment to us? Because I ultimately think that what's going to happen out of this, and I think you'll see it sooner rather than later, there were some 300, 350 or whatever the number was that went in the portal this year. What, 200, 250 of them didn't land? So two, 250 of them were looking for greener pastures and, and thinking this portal is the greatest thing in the world because they're a depth player or not having the role that they wanted on the team they're on. And they ended up out, out not, not having any place to play. and. And so all of a sudden, then it got, it shut right down, like in a matter of a couple of days of when the numbers hit, it shut right down and no one went into the portal because 
uh, they, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. There, there's too many players for the spots that are going to be available coming up. So I think what it's ultimately going to get to, and this is why I say I'm not in favor of it, I think the greatness of college hockey has been the parity and the ability of program, any program, any program, call it AIC a few years ago, going in and beating the number one seed in the country like two or three years ago in the NCAA tournament, the first game, and beating them, not just lucking out, but beating them. Um, the national championships, Division II, Minnesota Duluth, back-to-back national championships. Union, not a perennial power national championship. Providence at that point was not a perennial power. Came in as a 16th seed national champion. Um, St. Cloud, constant, constantly in the top. I believe they're a Division II school as well. Um, Mankato elevating, not certainly not Mankato, certainly not University of Minnesota or whatever. And they're they're at the top of the of the country. Um, that's the beauty of it. And and how that happens is because the feast of players of these top end players is we have to get this young guy. We have to get this young guy. We have to get this young guy. They lock up these young guys that we, that other schools never have a chance at. Well, then it comes to the point where when guys sign early and turn pro and things, those young players go into their team and they, okay, we have to honor that or else we'll lose that kid. He'll say, I'm not going there. I'm going someplace else. They're not honoring their commitment. So whether they're ready or not, they have to take them. And a lot of times they don't get that player. They get a player, Quinn Hughes for, one or two years at University of Michigan, and then he's in the NHL. And so they have to find, bring in Quinn Hughes. Well, now with the transfer portal, they can replace that where, where teams were, where the, the benefit of some teams to make the parity within college hockey was with older rosters. And I, that's no secret. I'm not, I'm not displaying an Einstein theory here. It was with, with older players. Um, those are the teams that were winning. Well, now it's a double-edged sword. Uh, uh, certain schools are going to be able to say, okay, we'll bring in these, these two, two or three first round, second round draft picks. But I like this player over here on this team. And I like this player over here on this team. And he knows a player on his, on his team played with him in juniors. That's on our team that, you know, I think, I think we could have a chance at that kid. Well, all of a sudden that kid's going to show up in the portal and he's going to go. And, and, and so these teams are losing all these players to signing early and things are going to both be able to choose to bring in the best young players they want, but they're also going to get that experience by stealing the, in, in my opinion, stealing very good players from other, from other teams. And, and, you know, if you look at, if you look at the players that we got, I'm in favor of the way that, that, that went down. There wasn't a, the BU was moving on. So, so Michael Carroll comes in available for us. That's a great rule. A fifth year player, um, and that rule was in place where a fifth-year player going after a master's program could transfer anywhere and play immediately. That rule was allowed. Um, Matty Corsia, he was a depth guy at BU that they were out in, in a lot of ways. He, they would have taken him back, but he was competing for a spot, and they, were, they would have allowed him, they would have written him a release to go play someplace else. Tyrone Bronte, a, a school was folding. He was available to everybody. The avenues were there for... For, to maintain the parity level of hockey. And I mean, you look at anything in life, in my opinion, and power will find a way to get what they want. And, uh, you know, you make a couple threats here and there, you, you know, you get some big football programs that say, hey, we don't need the NCAA. Um, we want to play, pay our players. So they say, okay, well, well we can do a likeness thing because we don't want to lose these players from our, our revenue source. So they make this image and likeness and now you're able to pay players, whatever, a million dollars in a, in a car sponsorship to go play at the university of uh, prestige. You know what I mean? So 
I, the loyalty phase is, is leaving. I'm probably old school on that. But I think that we make better people out of helping people come through adversity and growing and to be part of a group and not necessarily have to be the group that my dad's going to go. If I can't make a team or be the star, my dad will get make me a team and I'll be a star and, and he'll make me a star. I think that we're losing that. Now, again, old school, call it what you want. But I know that that for me, the way I grew up and the way that I was able to get where I got, um, low-income housing, uh, single-family parent working, uh, having to work double shifts to get us our family by, you know, no one gives you anything. And I think that people are better off when when they work and earn and produce um, instead of instead of getting it different ways. And that, that's just my old school thought. So roundabout answer. I think there's other ways they could have gone about the transfer portal and allowing a free agent type market. And that's just my opinion. Just a quick follow up on that. What about also the a loyalty or commitment from the school to the player? What does that say to the player if you bring somebody in who displaces them? Well, that's the other side of it. Like where, where, and you probably, maybe you heard the uh, interview that I was, I was asked about that yesterday. And my feeling of it is, I think you're going to see a degree of, I, I know here at Michigan Tech, if I cut players, man, it, there better be a good reason for me to do it. And it better be nothing to do with ability because we want, when we make a commitment, we better have done our work to recruit that player to um, make sure that we've done every bit of homework we can. What's the dog's name? How does he treat his teachers? Everything that you can do to make sure that you're getting a player that will represent the university in the right way. So I'll just use us for an example. So, so let's say that we lose five top players to the portal. We graduate three or four more really good players. How do we, how does a school, and I'm using us because I think we have a pretty good name in being able to use the portal, but I, and I don't want to say it about anybody else. All of a sudden a coach goes in and says, listen, you listen, boss, my, what's the loyalty that the players are showing to us? Like, I'm held accountable for my record. My job's on the line for my record. Where, where's my accountability? And, and this is the same. This is the very same as this whole thing. Let's, let's go back a little bit. There was a gentleman's agreement back in the day when I first got into this 30 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. There was a gentleman's agreement that you leave my recruits. When, once, a, once a verbal commitment's made, you leave my recruits alone, I'll leave your recruits alone. And there was an ethics committee within the coaches association that would have to you to be called up and answered embarrassed in front of the group if that didn't occur. And that didn't occur in the likes of a guy being challenged in front of the ethics committee and saying, you stole my player. No, no, wait a minute. I didn't steal your player. I got a phone call and asked about if we'd be interested in your player. And we told him we would be interested, but he's committed there. So we can't be, well, he's still committed there. And then the other coach would say, well, you're basically telling him you want him if he decommits. So, so, you know, you could see the wolves in the room, you know, you could see the wolves in the room. And, uh, and so the loyalty factor of it, of it now goes, goes into where, where do you show the loyalty to the athletes when your job and everything is on the line? Um, it, that's going to be a legitimate discussion versus, well, let me get back to my point. And then it got into this gentleman's agreement was gone. And, and who made the gentleman's agreement? It was school A saying, I don't want school B to take my players. And, and it's, it's these top prestigious at the time schools making that agreement. Well, what happened was these little Johnnies started saying, well, if they're going to commit guys early and do that, we're going to commit guys early. 
And we're going to make sure that those kids that commit are know that those other schools aren't unnecessarily honoring their commitment. So all of a sudden it came down to coaches in the room from these elite schools saying, wait a minute, I can't say to my athletic director that I'm not going after a kid that we never had a chance to recruit. Well, just the, 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 the agreement, the coaches agreement was, was pretty good for you two or three years ago, but now when everybody else is locking up players, that agreement isn't good anymore. You are, you're going to, because your job's on the line, the pressure's on you. You want to be able to tell your athletic director, uh, you know, I, I listen, I'm not going to honor any agreements unless it's an NLI. I'm not going to honor it. So, so it all, again, feeds off of power and it all comes down to the asset and the asset is the athlete. And it comes down to who controls the asset. And you'll continue to see, as long as people have power, rules implemented to create um, distance in between those that have power to control the assets and those who don't. And maybe that's a good thing. Again, I'm old school. I think athletics is pure, and I'd like to see everything solved in an even, even way on the battlefield. Now, you can say, well, let's see if a kid has a chance to go wherever he wants. Yeah, it, it, I guess I guess it is. But... They're getting a fifty, sixty thousand dollar education um, guaranteed to them, uh, and and that's not good enough. Now, now it has to go that that much farther. It was good enough when they didn't have everybody knocking at the door, but it's not good enough now. So, our job with the rules is to maintain our players, to to do whatever we can to make this the environment. And if they're seeking glitter, um, they have the avenue now to to leave, and and we have to live with it and keep and keep. I guess we have to make ourselves. Uh, glitter as well. We're talking with Joe Sean, the head coach at Michigan Tech. I'd like to turn to the CCHA, the new league. Uh, obviously, the regular season hasn't gotten away in conference, but I'm interested in some of your thoughts on the new league. Certainly, you have a smaller travel footprint. Uh, we've already seen uh, some really strong promotion of the league, and and I've heard good things uh, from coaches around the league about having uh, a former head coach as commissioner. What's your take on the CCHA so far? I think it's awesome. I think I think it's absolutely awesome in in the fact that um, now I'm from the CCHA. I'm a I'm a Lake State guy and a Northern guy that we're in the CCHA. So it has nothing to do with that. What what I like is that again, probably on the theme of this discussion, I thought the other league in a lot of ways bent um, made concessions for. Um, for non, there were team, there were programs getting hurt by one loss in the pairwise because of strength of schedule and things like that. Um, there was, there was, and, and I mean, to the point of 0.001 keeping you out of a national tournament because maybe a tie against a certain team at a certain time. So that's okay. If there's, if, if that's shifting around and, and every so often this team isn't, up there and this team isn't up there, but what was going on? And this is, I think what drove it. What was going on was, was that do you, do you cater to, to mediocrity to in some degrees, or do you try to, you know, you got some saying we want to be the best. And, you know, a couple of years ago, if you remember Minnesota state out of the blue applied to the NCHC, well, you lose your top dog and, and that looks terrible. And so, well, why is that happening? We want to be the best. We don't, we want to win a national title, you know, and, and you saw a little bit of what was to come last year, I think, in that 
Um, you, you replaced Huntsville was in the league last year, but you replaced them with St. Thomas. That's really the eight teams, let's say. And it was competitive and it was, it, there was no out of conference games. So it was just basing the in day to day competition level of these teams that were trying to drive a good product. And if you look at that alone, you look at Mankato playing strictly a conference schedule, making it for the first time to the final four. And you look at Bemidji going in and having a tremendous dominant effort against Wisconsin and playing very good the second game. And then you look at Lake State, if you look at the shots and everything in the game, it was not indicative of the, uh, that score against UMass, who won the national tournament. The score wasn't indicative as to what the game actually was. So playing head-to-head, game in, game out, without losing, potentially losing a chance at national tournament bid because of one odd loss somewhere along the line and all this strength of schedule stuff, the, the thought had to be we have to improve our strength of schedule and we have to play a strong non-conference schedule. And look at look at Mankato's schedule. Look at ours. We just played Wisconsin ranked. We have Notre Dame. They were ranked going in. We have, uh, we'll play Michigan, who's top ranked right now, and Michigan State. And then we go to Clarkson, who's apparently an ECAC um, powerhouse. So Bemidji's doing the same thing. They're playing North Dakota. So we had to get ourselves to the point, if we wanted to be viable as a conference and, and get into this recruiting battle with teams, we had to get ourselves to the point where we were competitive in that discussion with the best leagues. And the way you do that is head to head and getting your teams in the national tournament. That's, that's one way. Then up your programs um, with your facilities and things like that. And then you, you move on from there. So the league has done their part. Uh, we brought in instant credibility and in Don Lucia. Um, I think the, the uh, promotional staff has done an outstanding, an outstanding job in right from day one and getting the league, the, the word out and, and holding our departments to a standard of promoting our league in the right way in every aspect, making sure as a little thing, make sure your boards are clean guys, because people are taking pictures of highlights. If we want our games on TV, make sure the look is right. Make sure the nets are painted, make sure, you know, those little things that, you know, a guy like me says, really, you know, is that really that important? And, but to them it is. And to the people here that do that part of the operation for us, it has to be. So I think you're seeing a good product on the ice. I think the argument is that, there was great competition. We were beating ourselves up. The certain teams were beating themselves up. Certain teams, I mean, maybe us, were feasting on certain teams every year and getting that was maybe fabricating a record. And, uh, you know, coaches will lose their jobs and things like that. Look what happened in the NCHC when they went to, when, when, the, when this whole transpiration happened in the past, if that's even a word. I don't think George Gwazdecki ever coached a game in the NCHC. And he was if not the biggest name as a coach in college hockey at Denver, one of them and Rico Blase, you know, there's, there's, they're followed by, you know, you can say that you want this and that, but there's also followed and the expectations are on us as coaches to do our part and make sure that we have good programs. I'm with Joe Sean from Michigan tech and Joe, you mentioned uh, you're going to bring in Notre Dame this weekend, a team that a lot of people have high expectations for a little bit about Notre Dame, if you don't mind, but more, even more importantly, what's it going to be like to be back in Houghton with fans in your building in a different atmosphere than you certainly had last year? Well, that's a great, great point, Jim. We, we had a couple of, uh, a, a, a couple of weeks ago, we had, a uh, we were able to schedule the NCAA granted uh, exhibition game. So we, we played Northern, their quick jaunt up the road. 
um, they wanted to come over here so that we could return a trip to there because they weren't ready to promote the game in the way it needed to. So we quickly promoted, put it together, and it was a full house. And our players, some of our players had never seen and felt what the energy in our building is like. Like you couldn't build the Mac again. Codes wouldn't let you build those people right on top of the building. The, the, the stair, you know, the stair, the steepness of the stairs and things like that. It was energetic. Uh, our, our student group was, the misfits were tremendous. The pep band was tremendous. It was a great night. And, it, and you know, if you look at, we're always selected as, a, as one of the top um, venues for hockey in the country. Um, or in North America, actually, we're always up there with the North Dakotas and those because of the environment that it that we have. So it's going to be great. It's I, I was I talked to the ticket office today. Um, I, Friday's already done, uh, so that'll be a full house. And and the development program on Saturday has has limited tickets still available. So um, our guys are seeing a lot of even our sophomores are seeing what they never saw before, which is the the passion for hockey here in our area, and. That's a great thing. It's that's that's our sell to our players to make them stay here because a lot of them probably the winter might get a little long, but when you're looking forward to those Friday and Saturday games, it, it makes it a whole lot different. Well, it should be great hockey this weekend. Great hockey throughout the season in the CCHA and certainly at Michigan Tech. And Joe, uh, Joe Sean, we appreciate your time. Uh, you're you're an impassioned head coach, and that's one thing we really appreciate in this game. So appreciate your time today and we'll hopefully check in with you down the line this season. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. It's great to see you. That's Michigan Tech head coach, Joe Sean. Jim, I really enjoyed Joe's frankness and the depth of thought he's put into some of these things, particularly around the transfer area. And I suspect there are a lot of coaches out there who would like to express those opinions, but maybe are not as forthright. I agree with you. And, and listen, his passion was real. And, um, and for a good reason, you know, you work very hard and he's done a nice job up in Houghton of, of building this, this program in, in just a short period of time and uh, continued success every year. They're always in it in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. They always seem to be in the standings in the in the, the NWCHA. I'm sure this year CCHA they'll be right at the top. And when you build stuff like that, and then to maybe have you know one kid you know get a buzz in his ear from his agent or his parents or a friend saying, "Hey, why don't you come over here?" and to know that there's no penalty for that. I, I remember having such deep concern when the transfer rule was approved by the NCAA. And it's, you know, it's, the fact is this, it, you didn't have to sit out in almost any sport in any school and, you know, except for a few unique sports, hockey, men's and women's basketball, football, there were certain schools. And then even then there were tons of waivers being given and all that stuff. So I had talked to enough people around the game and they had kind of convinced me, well, this is just good for the, the good for sports, good for the athlete. But then you do hear it from the, a coach at a, a smaller school, um, with somewhat limited resources, but that know how to build their programs. They, you know, Joe Sean's no, no rookie. He's been around for, you know, more than 30 years in the college game and, you know, mostly as an assistant, but he's done a great job, you know, learning and, and understanding how to build a program. And he's doing everything he can, you know, only to potentially be pillaged by somebody who, you know, they, thought they had recruited these great players and then lose them to the NHL, lose them to the you know, pro ranks, you know, a year early and they just want to fill some gaps and holes. And Hey, who do you turn to some kid that they totally overlooked for a long time in the recruiting process 
Joe Sean and, and his staff go out and give him a scholarship. And then next thing you know, he turns out to be a pretty good player and everybody's, you know, everybody suddenly wants him. So it is, there is some danger in what we have in the current transfer rule, but I don't see it going anywhere. It's, it seems to be something that will be staying for a long time. His opinion on the new CCHA echoed that of what we heard from Minnesota State head coach Mike Hastings last week. But what was interesting to me was talking about how having a more competitive conference top to bottom makes a bit of a difference when it comes to the pairwise and at-large selections. If you have teams that are not competitive out of conference, it drags the whole conference down. And uh, this may make a difference for these eight teams in the new CCHA. You know, I, it certainly could, you know, and, and they've started the season. I look just looking at the out of conference record, eight, 11 and one. And that that's decent to say the least, um, you know, in the higher than maybe some of the, uh, the non-conference percentages were for the old WCHA, you know, the, the WCHA of most recent, the one, the one that was mostly comprised of the leftovers when the NCHC and big 10 were formed. Um, I do think that, you have to understand that a conference wants to be better. And it does sound like he, Joe Sean understands the professionality that's been thrown in into the mix here with a commissioner like Don Lucier. They are doing a good job top to bottom of running things. Uh, they, you know, from what I've heard, they've forced some better updates for things like video review, which I think league to league is so incredibly inconsistent building to building, but they've put standards in place that they want you know, a higher level of video review to be able to take place so that you don't have some of the controversies you often do. All those small things add up. And I think in the end, the CCHA is doing a great job of uh, building a brand and certainly elevating the brands of its eight programs. Last weekend, Michigan Tech did its job by sweeping Wisconsin. They hope to add to that non-conference record in a home game Friday against Notre Dame. For Jim Connolly, I'm Ed Tresker, and we'll catch you next time. This has been the USCHO Spotlight, a production of U.S. College Hockey Online. Visit usCHO.com slash podcasts to listen or subscribe. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.